Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the Acast app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 32 in our series for 2019. And today's date is Friday, September the 6th. First, I'll be talking to Peter Nguyen-Brown, co-founder and executive director of independent software vendor LiveTiles, looking at their special innovation to create a healthier workplace. And I'll be talking to Comsec chief economist Craig James, looking at what's ahead in the week for markets. But first, let's talk to Peter Nguyen-Brown. Okay, well, Peter, tell us about LiveSmiles. Sure. So LiveSmiles is an initiative by the LiveTiles team to try and bring social impact and progress in ways, I guess, on scale and, and that, we, that we've got the opportunity to do with, with our technology. Um, and our, I guess our aim is to uh, make wellness an intrinsic part of the workplace um, as opposed to an afterthought, which it often is in the workplace today. So how does it work? So LiveSmiles is the uh, complete set of LiveTiles technology. And LiveTiles has been around for about four years uh, we're listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, and we've we've raised about $100 million over the last four years. And so what we're effectively doing is taking all the technology that we've built over these four years, tailor it towards 
a wellness activity, wellness solution for, for the workplace, and we're giving away for free globally. So we think uh, that by combining all of our technology uh, and doing something with it in a global viral sense, we think it can have a, a, a big impact. And effectively what it's doing is providing organisations the ability to build and tailor their own wellness portal or wellness solution that suits them. Um, we see a lot of companies probably about 70, 70 to 80% of companies are trying to do something with wellness with their employees, but they're, they're doing it more as an add-on to the existing work, work experience. And so what we're finding is that most wellness strategies with, with organisations are, are actually overwhelming employees. So what we're trying to do is help companies by providing the technology behind it. What we're really trying to say is it's not really the outcome here and the solution is not so much the technology. Um, it's really about the engagement between humans in the workplace uh, and we're hoping our technology can actually help accelerate that process. So how does your technology help wellness in the workplace? Uh, first thing it does is it gives employers a place to talk about wellness, educate um, employees on wellness, engage um, their teams with various activities, but also, you know, for where it's appropriate as well, we, we have a, a bit of chatbot technology which allows really employees to engage and learn about wellness and what it means. And wellness is an extremely, extremely broad topic. It's not just mental health. It's also physical health. For some people, it might be mindfulness and, and spirituality. For others, it might be just getting out and walking and, and doing some business, you know, walking and talking um, outside. And there's lots of different things that it sort of make, makes up wellness, um, including happiness and, and tons of other stuff. So we're trying... Um, really to give employers no excuse to not bring wellness into a central conversation. As I said, we, we do see a lot of companies really trying hard to, to do better, but they don't have the technology to support it. So that they often start an initiative and then it sort of just stops. And so what we're trying to do is provide the technology which makes it a central part of their workplace. And for a lot of companies, that will be um, integrating live smiles into their intranet or it could be integrating live smiles into their um, existing technology stack. But again, it's it's really designed to uh, to get humans better engaged, and, and we are seeing, and this is not an, an unusual thing in today's world. Most workforces are becoming more distributed. People are working remotely, um, working from home, and unfortunately, that has led to forms of whether it be loneliness or la or productivity losses. Um, we think a big part of this solution is really about humans engaging on a more humane level, um, and again, technology playing a small role in that process. But uh, how specifically does the technology aid the wellness of an employee? So in, in a few different ways, um, we, one thing which you think, we think is really important, uh, and this is a big part of our, our motive behind Live Smiles, the, the wellness industry you know, in general is growing extremely quickly. There is a lot of expertise out there that um, support corporate wellness initiatives. Um, but for most employers and employees, they are finding it extremely hard to find out who can we learn from? Who can we seek help from? Um, so a big part of what we're doing here, and, it, and it's a, an important distinction to make, we are not claiming to be the, the wellness experts out there in the workplace. It's, it's probably the first thing I'll say. But secondly, by connecting really, really good wellness experts with the employers out there, we feel like we can actually connect the experts with the employers and employees. And then it's up to them really to, to forge relationships and, and engage employees. And there's so many different ways that, that, that this can help. And one thing we've noticed, we've, we've got about, um, we just, we went live uh, to market uh, last week and we've got about 250 customers globally signed up for this already. 
um, without us really even trying to market this. Um, every customer we speak to about Live Smiles firstly loves the idea of, of you know, wellness becoming an intrinsic part of what they do, but they all have their own views on what wellness is, and that's okay. We're not prescribing a wellness process. We're not saying that every company needs to work the same. Um, with Microsoft Australia, um, they've already done a ton of investments into wellness, you know, into the to their staff and various benefits that they get um, being a Microsoft employee. So their Live Smiles experience will be tailored to what Microsoft believe their wellness journey already already is. For some customers, they've got nothing. They've got no technology. They've got no sort of no sort of engagement with the wellness industry. So in a lot of cases, Live Smiles will be the beginning of a journey for a lot of customers. Um, and so in some cases, it will be education. It will be teaching people about specific issues around mental health. There's different mental health issues with, with males and females and different uh, generations. For some, it might be genuinely as simple as physical health in the workplace. And that could be from, you know, the, the basic sort of yoga classes to um, getting people on their bikes. And, you know, there's lots of different ways of sort of um, improving the, the physical aspect. And so what we're trying to do is is not, again, not try and tell employers how to start their journey, but what we're, what we're really trying to do is accelerate that process. And if we can connect the wellness industry with some of the best employers in Australia, we think we can actually accelerate those outcomes. So what... Life Smiles does is it connects companies with wellness experts and then people in the companies tell the wellness experts what they need and you go you take it from there is that right that is that's one major component absolutely so you know we have about 20 companies particularly in Australia at the moment who are I guess signed up as as Live Smiles partners um, when I say signed up, they're basically saying we support what you're trying to do here. And so what we'll do is that when organisations say to us, hey, we, we want to connect with, for example, there's an organisation called Heart on My Sleeve, which is a, a fantastic organisation around mental health um, and depression. Um, for customers who feel like that's an important part of their education process, we will enable that uh, connection to happen. So that is one big, big part of it. But I think another big part of it, and it's it's probably, I guess, on the flip side to this, we're also trying to give a, a central place for employers and employees to engage on their existing initiatives. And so it's not always about the external collaboration. It's also about the internal collaboration. Um, we do a lot of work with organisations all around the world um, building primarily their, their intranets. And, you know, you know there's a lot of uh, – we build a lot of dashboards for companies. We, we, we do a lot of work around collaboration. But we've always done collaboration around productivity. How do you, how do you increase – you know, a worker's output. That's what internets are largely about. What we're now saying is, well, let's make the wellness of, you, of, you, of your employee base an intrinsic part of that process too. And let's not make wellness an afterthought. Let's make it in, in, a part of the experience. So it's, it's both a combination of two things, uh, just to clarify that. One, to connect employers um, to expertise that exists out there today and try and make it a much easier process to, for them to engage the wellness industry. And secondly, really accelerate well, uh, the employers and employees' internal experiences around what wellness means to them. And that might be as simple as just a central place to manage documents or a central place to manage you know, internal webinars on education sessions on, on stuff, whatever it might be. And so it's a very, very big, broad topic, Leon, and it's um, something which we're, we, we, you know, we obviously take pretty seriously but we're trying to empower the employer to make some of these decisions and not so much be dictated from us. And uh, But ultimately, it's the company and the employer and the employee that makes a decision on how it can be used. It is, it's really what the empowerment of, of this is all about. Um, we know that when there's a really strong relationship between employers and employees, 
around this sort of stuff that productivity is just a benefit. It's, a, it's an outcome of, of looking after your staff. And I think that's just an important thing in this process. And as we're seeing also the emergence of artificial intelligence, and a lot of people are concerned about what that means, you know, the rise of the bots and the rise of the robots. Our view is that we can use that for good. If we, if we can engage um, employees and employers with chatbot technology on certain things um, that could be highly powerful. We also think it's, you know, it's got to be done. It's got to be done well. Um, so, you know, we think we can also use, you know, emerging technologies for the benefit of of, human, of humanity as well. So, even though what we're saying is that we have some technology to support the wellness, I guess, the rise of wellness in the workplace, we're not saying that technology is the answer, but it is an enabler for this. Um, and ultimately, we want happier, healthy human beings in the workplace. If we get that done, we have happy and healthier families of, of employees and then ultimately we think we can actually make a broad uh, a broad impact across uh, social um, channels as well and we'd love to think we can make a big difference to uh, the progress of, of wellness broadly. Okay and uh, ultimately the aim would be to have companies embrace wellness not as an add-on but as part of their structure. Exactly right and I think that's where a lot of organisations through our own um, research and experience has shown a lot of companies have the the greatest of intentions and they want to do more employees are asking them to do more but they don't necessarily know where to start as i said we're not the experts but when we speak to the experts in this field they're telling us that that wellness is is being bolted on to the existing already chaotic workday of employees and that's probably the wrong way to go about it we need to make wellness part of the workplace not an extension to it well peter it's been delightful talking to you and we'll watch live smiles with a great deal of interest thank you very much for your time Thanks, Leon. And now let's talk to Comsec Chief Economist, Craig James. Uh, Craig James, uh, what's the outlook uh, for the week ahead? Uh, well, there's a spattering of economic indicators. You wouldn't say that they're all top-shelf indicators. The top-shelf ones are effectively things like retail spending, building approvals, the, the economic growth figures and inflation figures. But uh, what we've got next week or in the coming week you know, sort of is the um, surveys of business confidence and business conditions, surveys of consumer confidence. So co- confidence, you know, sort of is very much a big focus in terms of the indicators out this week. Uh, we've also got some measures on, on lending. So the data on lending to households and businesses, that certainly, you know, so will be very much, you know, sort of in focus. And what um, the Reserve Bank would be trying to do is to be able to look at, you know, sort of the, the fresh evidence which is coming out this, this week and just determine whether it is appropriate, you know, in coming months to, to, to cut interest rates again or, or perhaps the economy is already, you know, sort of doing the, the job, you know, so the, the Reserve Bank uh, barreling forward. But uh, I, I think it'll be an interesting week. Uh, won't be necessarily pivotal to the, the Reserve Bank's decision about whether to uh, cut rates again in the future. I mean, some economists are still tipping uh, the Reserve Bank will be cutting again. Well, certainly the, the view of the, the Commonwealth Bank Group is that um, further interest rate cuts are likely to, to, to be necessary. What the Reserve Bank has indicated uh, that, look, inflation is going to stay under control for, for quite some time. For the Reserve Bank uh, to try and speed up the economy, the, what it has in its kit bag, the only thing that it has in its kit bag is, is cutting interest rates. You know, so the problem for the Reserve Bank is that we're getting closer and closer to, to zero. That doesn't mean to say that uh, it runs out of options, but you don't have the, the, the normal sorts of options to cutting interest rates. You may have to go into you know, special times where you uh, buy back bonds from, from the, the marketplace and, and effectively inject cash into the economy you know, so that way. But, um, uh, yeah, the Commonwealth Bank Group continues to expect an um, interest rate cut in uh, November of this year, another one in, in February of, of next year. 
by the time of November, we will have had, or the Reserve Bank would have dissected the latest economic growth figures, and we would have had the latest inflation figures as well. Hopefully, we can get you know a little bit more information from the uh, United States and China about their their trade war. You know, so that that continues to to be you know sort of waxing and waning over time, and uh, continues to be very much you know sort of focus of businesses and consumers right the way across the globe. Now, uh, of course, we've got consumer confidence figures next, uh, this week coming up, don't we? We, we certainly do. We, we have uh, two measures. Um, we have the weekly measure, as is always the case, you know, on, on Tuesday from ANZ and Roy Morgan, and then we've got the Westpac Melbourne Institute Consumer Confidence Index, uh, the monthly reading coming out you know, on Wednesday. So what we've seen you know, sort of in um, uh, recent months is that we've had some, you know, some really good growth in, in consumer confidence, particularly in terms of people's uh, perception on their finances. A lot of people believe that their finances are actually in, in pretty reasonable shape and the expectation is that their finances are going to remain in good shape and of course when you've got the interest rates at, at super low low levels that certainly helps matters when you've got a, a tax cut or the tax offset you know sort of being passed through uh, changes to the minimum wage so that was increased and, and and more and more people are getting jobs and that adds in income to to the economy as well so certainly you know, sort of um from the consumer standpoint yeah, the only real negatives I think for for a lot of consumers is the fact that the Aussie dollar is a little bit weaker than they would like, and for consumers that's a, a key issue because um, people are looking to buy goods, you know, so off the internet, perhaps from overseas, and they might be a bit dearer. They may be looking at overseas holidays, going to the US or Europe, um, and if the the Aussie dollar is weak, well, you know, so that certainly you know, counts against them. So, you know, the the two main negatives I think for the Aussie consumer at the moment is the price of petrol, which can be uh, sort of a little bit on, on the high side, has been historically um, high, um, and also that lower Australian dollar. But generally, in terms of people's you know, sort of um, finances, they're OK. The, the, the question for, for consumers is whether they're going to have the confidence in, in coming months and quarters to be able to spend some of the income that they've got coming through. I think most people are adjusting the fact that Wages, you know, sort of now are growing at a lower nominal rate than they have in in the past. It's still the fact that um, wages are increasing at a faster rate than prices, so affordability is continuing to improve. So uh, Aussie consumers, you know, are benefiting uh, there. But um, it's a question of um, whether people have the the confidence to be able to spend the the money that they've got, and that's the big thing that's holding back um, our economy from from growing, you know, sort of household consumption. And, of course, we've got the NAB business confidence and conditions figures coming out as well, don't we? Yes, certainly do. Um, Those figures coming out on on Tuesday. Um, We did have a little bit of a spike in business confidence after the election was out of the road, but um, then it's come back down to to earth. If we look at uh, business confidence, that's a reading of basically four, and business conditions is basically a reading of three. Now, the long-term average is a reading of six. So you can see both those a little bit on the soft side, I think what a lot of businesses are waiting for is to, to consumers to get their, their mojo back, for consumers to be able to start spending uh, again. If uh, consumers start spending again, businesses have more confidence to spend themselves and also to to invest in and employ. So it's more or less the answer to the chicken and the egg situation. Businesses are in pretty good shape. We saw that in the profit reporting uh, season where business profits uh, have risen. 
That was confirmed in the um, the economic growth figures yesterday as well. So uh, businesses are a lot like consumers at the moment, where the balance sheets are in pretty reasonable nick. Things are done, you know, so okay despite you know, the challenging conditions that we've seen over the last 12 months. Or so businesses are still making money, but it's hardly you know, sort of the fact that um, businesses or consumers are spending like there's no tomorrow. That's certainly not the case at the moment. So the uh, Economist magazine uh, recently in in the UK was headlined, you know, the, the age of anxiety or the, you know, the financial, you know, sort of anxieties that are being experienced by people across the, right the way across the globe. So this is something that um, we are experiencing, you know, sort of here in Australia and that they are experiencing in other parts of the world as well, you know, sort of people anxious about, you know, sort of the current times, particularly with um, you know, the, the almost unheard of situation where you have super low interest rates, super low inflation, super low unemployment. The other interesting figures will be the tourist arrivals, and uh, we'll be watching closely about the deceleration in Chinese tourist arrivals here. Yeah, certainly we have seen um, in past years Chinese um, tourists coming to Australia in in droves, and and the growth rate has been super strong. But um, what we've seen in recent times is slowing down in terms of their their growth rate. So... um, uh, the annual growth rate of Chinese tourists travelling to Australia was just above nine-year lows at 1.4% in in the latest figures for for June. So um, uh, we'd like to see you know sort of a pick up in terms of their growth rate. The Aussies are still travelling overseas. People are still coming to Australia, and certainly the low Australian dollar is is helping that um, in terms of people coming to to Australia. But our major source of tourists is is China, and we'd like to see that growth rate. You know, so rising over time. So yeah, the t- two key contributors to um, Australian tourism here in Australia are New Zealand and, and also uh, China. And it's uh, certainly not been the case in recent times where those tourist numbers have been you know, so barreling forward. As I mentioned, you know, the low Australian dollar is certainly you know, so one factor that's supporting the overall situation. But um, again, it gets back to that um, age of anxiety that we're in at the moment. Uh, the Chinese consumer, uh, because they're uncertain about where their economy is going with the, the trade war with the United States, may be a little bit reluctant to, to head offshore. They may be reluctant to, to spend. Um, and of course we know in New Zealand they're suffering this, the same sort of thing that we have in Australia and other parts of the globe where we've seen a slowdown in terms of the uh, global economy because of that uh, US-China trade war so uh, really at the, the, the bottom of all this weakness that we've got and that we're seeing across the, the globe is that uh, US-China trade war and if we were only to resolve that one you know, sort of, then I think you know, sort of the major economies would be off to the races would be seeing a significant uh, acceleration in terms of economic growth. Which is why we'll be watching the Chinese export figures very closely in the week ahead. Well, yes, Chinese exports and imports. We've also got you know, so Chinese inflation figures you know, so over the week. So there's a number of key you know, sort of focus uh, points coming out of China over, over the week. China experiencing a little bit you know, sort of more consumer price inflation. One of the reasons is the price of pork you know, so has been going through the roof. But the underlying you know, growth in terms of uh, Chinese consumer prices are very much similar to what we're seeing in a lot of other parts of the world where the, the, the new black, the new norm in terms of inflation, you know, so the major uh, economies is something in the order of 15 to 2%. That's where inflation seems to be settling in so many parts of the, the, the globe. So um, 
I have to see whether that continues in terms of China, but we'd have to think that um, the Chinese economy not travelling at you know, such a strong pace at the moment. And um, if you've not uh, got that degree of uh, strong strong growth, uh, you're not going to see you know, so that reflected in terms of prices. What we have seen you know, sort of in terms of uh, the Chinese situation as well, we've had a producer price deflation or, or falling rates or slowing negative growth rates in, in terms of producer prices have started to, to re-emerge. So we've got to watch the answer to that one you know, sort of fairly carefully as well. Uh, we do have inflation figures to watch out for in terms of the United States over this week as well. The producer prices coming out on Wednesday, consumer prices coming out on, on Thursday. The, the core of the underlying rate of consumer prices in, in the United States is a little bit higher than other parts of the world at 2.2%. But, of course, their economy has also been travelling along at a pretty you know, sort of fast clip as, as well. So tightness in terms of the job market. Uh, wages starting to pick up a little bit more in terms of uh, prices and that presents an interesting uh, situation for the US Federal Reserve whether they decide to uh, preemptively cut interest rates uh, because of um, slowdown and, and the future slowdown in terms of their, their economy. We know that the manufacturing sector is now contracting rather than expanding but um, yeah, it sets up in a fairly interesting meeting in just over a week's time uh, looking at September 17th, 18th for the next U.S. Federal Reserve meeting. Well, that'll be fascinating. And Craig, James, thank you very much for your insights. I'm sure our listeners will be taken with a great deal of interest. Thank you. Thanks, thank Craig. you, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, China and the United States have begun imposing additional tariffs on each other's goods. The latest escalation in a bruising trade war, despite signs talks will resume sometimes this month. China has begun to impose additional tariffs on some of the U.S. goods on a US $75 billion target list. The extra 5% and 10% tariffs were levied on 1,717 items of a total of 5,078 products originating from the US. Meanwhile, the US imposed 15% tariffs on a portion of the $300 billion in goods from the Asian giant that so far had been spared. US President Donald Trump on Friday ruled out any further postponement. They're on, he told reporters. The new tariffs will target a range of products from foodstuffs like ketchup, butchered meat, pork sausage, fruits, vegetables, milk, cheese, to sports equipment like golf clubs, surfboards and bicycles, to musical instruments, sportswear and furniture, according to an official list. Economists at the Washington-based Peterson Institute for International Economics estimate $112 billion in goods will be affected. The trade war, touched off by Trump more than a year ago, received its latest jolt last week with the US announcement that all Chinese goods would be subjected to tariffs by the end of this year. And the outlook for China's manufacturing sector had deteriorated further in August, underlining the weakness in the domestic economy just as the new round of tariffs kicks in. The Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index dropped to 49.5, according to data released by the National Bureau of Statistics on Saturday, with sub-gauges showing that domestic and new overseas orders contracted. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg concedes the nation's economic growth for last financial year will be poor, but he believes activity will pick up in the September quarter because of cuts to income tax and interest rates. The Treasurer blames several factors for what will be a sluggish quarter, including the election campaign. Mr Frydenberg said seven of the 12 weeks of the June quarter were occupied by the election, including the five-week campaign and period afterwards, until the writs were issued. He urged people 
to look through the June numbers to the September quarter, which will incorporate the effects of the income tax cuts which came into effect on July the 1st, as well as the June and July interest rate cuts by the Reserve Bank of Australia. And sure enough, economic growth sank to 0.5% during the final three months of the 2019 financial year, leaving annual growth at 1.4%, the slowest rate since 2009 in the wake of the GFC. The gross domestic product data follows a spate of disappointing economic figures in recent months, including a slump in home approvals, falling business investments and weak retail sales. This was signalled by worrying figures about the Australian economy from business indicator data. ABS data revealed the operating profits of Australian companies surged 4.5% between the March and June quarters, more than doubling what the market had expected. This equates to a 12.5% boost in annual profit since June 2013. However, a deep dive into those figures showed that it was the mining industry that by far did the heavy lifting. Companies in the mining sector saw their quarterly profits lift by 10.9% and yearly profits surge 31.9%. In contrast, profits for non-mining companies rose very slightly by just 0.3% during the June quarter, but it was a relatively small annual gain since June last year at 1.5%. Business inventories fell 0.9%. And retail sales fell 0.1% in July, disappointing consensus forecasts and defining stimulatory measures like record low interest rates and income tax cuts. Turnover fell in everywhere except for increased sales in the Northern Territory and Western Australia, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And the Reserve Bank of Australia has held the official cash rate at 1%, but has warned that softer economic conditions and heightened global economic uncertainty could bring forward further rate cuts. Financial markets did not expect a further 0.25 percentage point interest rate cut until November, and had priced in a 75% probability of a cut in October. And Australia has recorded its first current account surplus since 1975, posting a 5.8% billion dollar surplus. But this was on the back of booming exports of iron ore and coal. Another record trade surplus of 19.8 billion turned the current account from a deficit of 2.9 billion in the March quarter to a surplus of 4.5.8 billion, a turnaround of 6.9 billion dollars. This result far exceeded the consensus of economists for a 1.5 billion dollar surplus. And after rising for two consecutive months, ANZ job ads fell 2.8% in August. This pushed the annual decline down to 11.4%. In trend terms, job ads fell 0.5% for the month and 11.2% for the year. And the Australian Industry Group Australian Performance of Manufacturing Industry, or PMI, rose by 1.8 points to 53 points, indicating a more convincing expansion. Results above 50 points indicate expansion with higher results indicating stronger growth in the month. Manufacturing improved in August with higher levels of production and rising exports. Demand from defence and mining lifted the machinery and equipment sector into expansion, but the metal sector and other heavy industrial manufacturers are still reporting tough conditions. The food and beverages sector is still growing but recorded its lowest monthly result since November 2016 with some respondents noting higher prices and lower availability and quality of raw agricultural inputs because of the drought. Overseas demand for Australian manufactured products remains strong, particularly for consumable manufactured products. 
The main weights on the index this month were employment, which dropped 1.8 points to 51.4, and capacity utilisation, which fell 2.4 percentage points to 78.9. And on the plus side, the Reserve Bank's back-to-back interest rate cuts have supercharged the Sydney and Melbourne property markets, with house values in the nation's two largest cities surging in August. The monthly CoreLogic report on the national property market showed house values in Sydney lifted by 1.5% last month. Over the past three months, values had climbed by 1.6%. There is a similar situation in Melbourne, where house values increased by 1.3% in August to be 1.6% higher over the past three months. Unit values in the two cities also jumped. In Sydney, they increased by 1.8% to be 2.5% higher over the quarter, while in Melbourne, they improved by 1.5% in August to be 2.4% better over the quarter. No other capitals came close, with Canberra coming in at 0.8%, Hobart at 0.5% and Brisbane at 0.2%, the other cities posting gains, while Darwin contracted 1.2%, Perth contracted 0.5% and Adelaide contracted 0.2%. Regional markets outside the capitals also lagged, with prices falling an average of 0.1%. CoreLogic's research director, Tim Lawless, said buy demand and confidence was responsible for the lifting values as people took advantage of the RBA's recent interest rate cuts and the Morrison government's personal income tax reductions. And health giant Coop Booper is the latest insurer to take a scalpel to its operations, implementing a round of job cuts intending to offset some of the rising healthcare costs, which are squeezing funds across the industry. The UK headquartered group commenced a round of redundancies in Australia two weeks ago, in which about 100 jobs will go, mostly in head office, support and middle management roles. And German supermarket powerhouse Kaufland has finally revealed plans of its aggressive expansion plans for Australia. Coles and Woolworths are worried, but so is Aldi, which, like Kaufland, is a German global grocery goliath. The international retailers' move into the local market has been quietly ticking away for months, but this week it confirmed it had lodged paperwork for nine sites in Victoria and had been given approval to go ahead with stores in Oakley South, in the city's southeast, and Coolaroo in Melbourne's north. Three stores located in Dandenong, Epping and Churnside Park were announced in March. It already has six locations on the drawing board in South Australia and Victoria, meaning the national network will be bumped up to 20 even before its expansion into Sydney is announced. And Telstra says it will take a smaller than expected hit to earnings from the MBN in 2020. Following revelations, MBN Co. was expecting a slower migration of customers to its broadband network, but it has warned losses from the so-called MBN headwing will now be heaviest in 2021, not 2020, as customers continue to migrate from Telstra's copper network to the MBN. MBN Co. last week announced it was expecting 500,000 fewer customers to switch over to the MBN than previously flagged, bringing the total expected migration down from 2 million to 1.5 million for the year. Telstra said the result of this change was material, but mixed. It means Telstra will earn more from its underlying business as more wholesale customers remain on Telstra's copper network. That will boost underlying earnings by $100 million dollars, but it also means Telstra will receive about $300 million less in one-off compensation payments from the MBN as customers are moved onto the new fibre network. Telstra said the net MBN headwind in 2020 will be $200 million lower than previously flagged in Telstra's full-year results last month. It now expects the MBN to erode 
600 million to 800 million in earnings, not 800 million to 1 billion as previously flagged. And it takes blood, sweat and tears to run a successful small business, but it doesn't mean you'll be laughing all the way to the bank. A new report shows half of small business owners earn less than the minimum wage. The statistics have worried Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman Kate Carnell, but Tax Commissioner Chris Jordan believes many of these business owners could be people doing part-time work on the side, which requires an ABN, such as driving for Uber or selling Tupperware. An Australian tech company, Atlassian, is encouraging its workforce to take part in global climate strikes this month that will be held to coincide with the United Nations Climate Summit. The software company is among an alliance of Australian and global companies urging businesses to support employees who want to strike in solidarity with students on the 20th of September. 20 companies, including Future Super, Keep Cup and clean energy retailer Amber, are part of the alliance, which has called itself Not Business as Usual. Atlassian's co-founder and chief executive, Mike Cannon-Brooks, said business leaders had to step up and try to resolve this problem in the absence of effective policy at federal level. And the competition watchdog has begun legal proceedings against Medibank over allegations the health insurer made false representations to its customers. The Australian Competition Consumer Commission will allege customers of Medibank budget brand AHM had claims rejected that should have been paid. The case refers to over 800 AHM customers who were told their light or boost policies did not cover certain procedures, including joint investigations and reconstruction procedures. The ACCC said Medibank self-reported the issue and has already begun remediating affected customers. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Tamara Lowe, who has delved into the world of investment with a current focus on her online beauty disruptor, Dollar Beauty Tribe designed to promote cruelty-free vegan indie brands. Lure has become globally known as a leading wellness entrepreneur. And I'll be talking to IFM Chief Economist Alex Joyner, looking at the state of the economy. And of course, I'll be bringing you all the week's news. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBRZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Have a great week. Take care, be good. And looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.